Tonight we're going to uh, continue with part two of what we started last week on the prophetic prototype. Tonight it's entitled, Welcome to the Process. You know, we already talked about training and development and mentoring and being perfected and developed. All of that is key for the prophetic gift to come forth. So tonight, one of the areas that the Lord really impressed upon me and changed everything I was going to teach about to cover was three main things that prophets must be very serious of and beware of. And they are, I'll give you what the three are and then we'll talk about each of them. First one is divination or divining. The second one is, let me get down here a little further. First one is divination. And then the second one is pride. And the third one is Jezebel. Divination, pride, Jezebel. Okay, so divination means uh, to foresee, to predict, to prophesy. Do you know that divination, the meaning was prophecy. It is uh, the attempt to gain insight into a question or situation by way of an occultic, standardized process. They have a process or ritual used in various forms throughout history. Diviners ascertain their interpretations of how a um, cuit, spell key like a question, K-U-E-R-E-N-T, should proceed by reading signs, events, or omens, or through alleged contact with the supernatural agency. Now, back in real, real way back, during that time they called them oracles. Both oracles and seers in ancient Greece practice divination. Astrologers practice divination. Visions derived from hallucinations or hallucinogenins, that's a drug, were another important, important form of divination and still widely used among diviners in Mexico. So they use drugs to tap in to that supernatural. There are such things as tarot card readings in Japan and what they call the PO, P-O-E, or moon board, reading boards in Taiwan. Reading boards. So the first scripture reference we're going to read is out of uh, Deuteronomy chapter 18, verse 10 and 11. Deuteronomy 18, verse 10 and 11. I'm going to read it from the Message Bible. So definitely we'll read different than yours. Beginning in verse 9. I'm going to begin at 9. When you enter the land that God, your God, has given you, don't take on the abominational, abominable ways of life of the natives there. Don't you dare sacrifice your son or daughter in the fire. That's what they used to do. Don't practice divination, sorcery, fortune-telling, witchery, Casting spells, holding seances, 
or channeling with the dead. People who do these things are an abomination to God. Verse 13. Be completely loyal to God, your God. These nations that you're about to run out of the country consort and they consort with sorcerers and witches, but not you. Not you. Your God forbids it. Verse 15. God, your God, is going to raise up a prophet for you. God will raise him up among your kinsmen, a prophet like me. Listen obediently to him. Then I'm going to drop down to verse 17. They're right. They've spoken the truth, these prophets. I'll raise up for them a prophet like you from their kinsmen. So right from the midst of the people that they live that live there is where the prophets are raised, risen, raised up from and uh, pointed out and trained. He says, I'll tell him what to say and he will pass on to them everything I commend him. And anyone who won't listen to my words spoken by him, I will personally hold responsible. Verse 20. But any prophet who fakes it, who claims to speak in my name, something I haven't commanded him to say, or speaks in the name of other gods, that prophet must die. You may be wandering among yourselves. How can we tell the difference, whether it was God who spoke it or not? Here's how. If what the prophet spoke in God's name doesn't happen, then obviously God wasn't behind it. The prophet made it up. Forget about him. <laughs> wow. So that was the message translation. That's like down current uh, reality. So there's a very subtle difference between divining and prophecy. And so this is the warning prophets, spokespersons for God, mouthpieces for God. Make sure you're hearing from God and you're not hearing from the enemy or even your own fleshly spirit or desires. So it's a very subtle line. The spirit of divination is also called the Python spirit. The spirit is also referred to as Jezebel and Aspalon. Am I saying it right? Absalon. <laughs> so Jezebel and Absalon were people. They, they were not spirits. So when you hear someone say the spirit of Jezebel, there's no such thing as the spirit of Jezebel. There's a python spirit and there's other spirits. Pride, pride's a spirit, okay? So if you want to deal with those spirits, if you don't call them what they are, they don't really have to respond to you, okay? So you got to get it right. You got to know what you're talking about. You have to speak the truth, speaking the truth in love. So the python spirit is a demonic evil spirit that tries to squeeze the life out of Christ, the life of Christ out of his saints by distracting them from study of the word and from prayer life, their prayer time, and from worship. So three things he goes after, your time mainly, so that you don't have time to read the word. 
and that you're distracted. So you, you find excuses or reasons for prayer. And you don't, you forget to worship God and keep you busy, busy, busy going places and doing things. And that's what his, that's what his duty is, his function is. That's his job to do that. And just realize that could be happening to you and you not even know it. So be aware. You're getting this word because you're to be aware. God said, be aware. Like the python that coils itself around the body of its victim to destroy it, so the python spirit coils itself around the soul of the saint to choke out its connection to God. The python spirit seeks to stifle the breath of the Holy Spirit and to cut off our prayer life, which is our lifeline to God. We first encounter the python spirit in Acts 16, verse 16. Acts chapter 16, verse 16. And I'll read it here real quick uh, from the Amplified. It happened that as we were on our way to the place of prayer, we were met by a slave girl who had a spirit of divination, that is, a demonic spirit, claiming to foretell the future and discover hidden knowledge. And she brought her owners a good prophet by fortune-telling. So she was a liar. She was a diviner. And so she was being controlled by the python spirit. In this chapter, the apostle Paul is being harassed by this young slave girl with a spirit of divination. She has the ability to foretell the future and is earning lots of money for her masters. When Paul finally commands the spirit of divination to come out of her, she loses her power to predict the future and makes her masters very angry because she can no longer make them rich. The word divination in this verse comes from the Greek word pothon, P-U-T-H-O-N, which means python. Hence the name of the spirit, the python spirit's agenda, is to make us ineffective in the kingdom of God. The python spirit's ultimate goal is to stop us from being and doing what God has purposed for us to do. What are some of the characteristics of a python spirit? Number one, there's a great desire to flatter others for approval. Those who are people pleasers, who are starving for uh, affirmation, are most susceptible to the python spirit. We must be so rooted in God's acceptance of us that we do not look to others to affirm us. Okay, number two, wanting to be at the center of attention. The young girl in Acts 16, 16 followed Paul for many days, continually harassing him. A person with a python spirit will continually try to put himself or herself in the limelight. Three, wanting to prove one's importance. The young girl directed her harassment to Paul and Silas who were leaders in the early church. Those who try to gain status by seeking out people in positions may be victims of the Python spirit. Next one, number five, selling spiritual gifts. For example, a person with the Python spirit may charge people to give them a word of prophecy. This is evil. So how does it work? How does the Python spirit operate? The python spirit tries to squeeze the spiritual life out of us the way the natural python literally does when he squeezes the life out of its victims. 
The python spirit tries to hinder our ability to worship God. So he'll come up with all these different reasons why you shouldn't. Or distractions. Maybe you'll get a flat tire while you're on your way to church. The python spirit tries to mess up our finances and keep us in financial bondage. The python spirit tries to draw us into isolation and alienate us from others. The python spirit tries to keep us from reading God's word by distracting us, making us feel tired, and even causing us to fall asleep while reading God's word. The python spirit tries to keep us from praying. The python spirit tries to destroy our hope and our, um, have us abort God's destiny in our lives. I can remember once that somebody had like a, they had like a snake just kind of sitting right on top of their head like a nest, just sitting there. <laughs> and he, so he was having his way with that individual in, in, in the mind. So that's where the operators in the mind. Signs of being victimized by the python. You'll be continually feeling fatigued or sluggish, wondering why, and you really, really shouldn't be tired. Maybe you're sleeping all the time already, but you're still tired and sluggish. Uh, struggling without ever conquering or overcoming anything. Lack of ambition, just give up. Difficulty focusing, weariness, feeling powerless to overcome, apathy or depression. How about suicidal thoughts? That's, that's pretty bad. Difficulty praying and worshiping God and hopelessness. Now, just because one may be experiencing these um, items we just listed, these symptoms, it does not mean that one is the victim of the python spirit. That's just some possible symptoms. We must be discerning and ask Holy Spirit to show us what is going on when we experience any of the above mentioned symptoms. Any questions? If not, we'll move on to pride. Proverbs 16, 18. Pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. There are many, 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 many scripture references on pride in the Bible. If you are human, it is more than likely you struggle with pride. Don't think that you won't struggle with that on a daily, daily basis. It can be very subtle. Take an honest look at yourself and your attitude. Ask God to show you where pride is causing problems. Pride can look like what we typically think of when it comes to um, pride is like arrogance. Somebody's very arrogant. Or they're bragging. Or they're selfish. How about gaining an advantage over another person? Not listening to others or even God. But it can also come across in ways we wouldn't expect. Like in sarcasm. Not being able to move on from mistakes. How about dwelling on the past? Putting others down, complaining, low self-esteem, wanting to be in control of everything. That is pride. Be very careful. If you just put yourself up and think you're better than the next person, that's, that's prideful. Remember, that's what Satan did. Pride is what caused his fall. He wanted to be like God. And then finally, Jezebel. Jezebel has come to be known as a wicked woman. 
In First and Second Kings, she provoked conflict that weakened Israel for decades by interfering with the worship of the Hebrew God, Yahweh, disregarding the rights of the common man or the average man and defying the great prophets, Elijah and Elisha. So there's no Bible reference that says that Jezebel is a spirit. She was a person who was highly influenced or possessed by the devil. She was the wife of Ahab, King Ahab. The Jezebel spirit often uh, used to describe someone, and remember there's no spirit, they describe them as being someone who uses cunning, deception, and seduction to tear apart entire marriages, churches, and other entities. Unlike many evil spirits, the Jezebel spirit operates in a more subtle and sinister way. They come in, you know what the terminology or the phrase divide and conquer? That's what the Jezebel uh, spirit basically does. Remember, it's not a person. It's just that they call her that because her uh, actions were very, very evil and cunning. And she was very slick at what she was doing. And she was killing the prophets. So she wanted to shut down the voice or the word of the Lord going forth. She didn't want people to worship God. And so that's why when we look at the spirit of uh, divination and the python spirit, it's pretty close to Jezebel because she's doing the same thing that that spirit does. And maybe that's just the spirit that she had. It was to squeeze out the life of the church, squeeze out Holy Spirit. In Revelations chapter 2, uh, verses 18 through 25, 18 through 25, this is speaking to, this is where, you know, the messages that Jesus had to the various churches. This is to Thessalonica, Thysateria, I never can pronounce it right. So anyway, Revelations chapter 2, verse 18. And the angel, or the divine messenger of the church in Thessalonica, write, These are the words of the Son of God who has eyes that flash like a flame of fire in righteous judgment and whose feet are like burnished white hot bronze. I know your deeds, your love and faith and service and patience and endurance and that your last deeds are more numerous and greater than your first. But, verse 20, I have this charge against you that you tolerate the woman Jezebel. She's called a woman, not a spirit who calls herself a prophetess, claiming to be inspired. And she teaches and misleads my bondservants so that they commit acts of sexual immorality and eat food sacrificed to idols. I gave her time to repent, to change her inner self and her sinful way of thinking. But she, was, she has no desire to repent of her immorality and refuses to do so. Listen carefully. I will throw her on a bed of sickness and those who commit adultery with her, I will bring into great anguish unless they repent of her deeds. And I will kill her children. These are her followers with pestilence, thoroughly annihilating them. And all the churches will know without any doubt that I am he who searches the minds and hearts the innermost thoughts, purposes, 
and I will give to each one of you a reward of punishment according to your deeds. But the rest of you in Thessalonica, who do not hold this teaching, who have not explored and known the depths of Satan, as they call them, I will place no other burden on them except to hold tightly to what you have until I come. Amen. So let's say this prayer. Repeat after me. Lord God, Father God, Daddy God, we thank you that through Jesus, we have authority and power over every evil spirit. Grant us discernment to know what, if any, evil spirit are operating in our lives so that we may cast them out into outer darkness in your mighty name. Amen. Amen. Okay. Hallelujah. That was on the top because the Lord wanted you to know that. It's very easy to think that the word you're releasing is from Holy Spirit. And if you open your mouth and you release it and you're not for sure it's from him, it's best not to say anything. It's best not to say anything. There'll be another. That's why in the Bible talks about the prophet is subject to the prophet. That means you, your spirit. You can control that word. If he gave you a word and, and it's, you don't think it's quite what, you know, you're not for sure what to do with it yet. Maybe you need to ask somebody about it even. So that's a good thing to do is to take it to somebody that's, you know, um, an elder and get counsel. But uh, praying over it, waiting for God to give you more confirmation. If it's a word he wants to release, he's not going to give you rest. You're going to get an opportunity to release that word. To whoever and whatever is supposed to, whatever venue that is supposed to happen. Sometimes you don't realize where it's supposed to happen at. It's not always as soon as you get it that that word is to be released. But do live, as I've been telling you all along, holy. Be holy as God is holy. Read the word. Keep the word in you. And do not be around anything that's demonic. Anything that's demonic in your house, get rid of it. Play worship music. Anoint your homes. If there's outbreaks of confusion and everybody seems to be acting crazy, then something's not right in your home, you know, or for you. Repent first, you know, take communion, anoint your home. You may have to do that a few times because you never know what people may bring into your home. Even your own family members can bring things in on them. Okay. Well, even animals, they say dogs and things like that. So be careful. I knew there was a reason why I didn't care for animals. <laughs> but I never have. The kids would get, like, we allowed them to have dogs, but I said, oh, I couldn't wait till they got, we got those dogs out of the house. Because I'm just too, too sensitive in the spirit for me, my discernment of spirits. Okay, so what we're going to continue with in the next few minutes is talking a little bit about ordination and licensing, because I said that would be a part of this, this four-week uh, discussion. So ordination, ordain means to bestow on someone a priestly authority. Key word there, priestly. You know, you want to read in Leviticus uh, about the priest and what they had to go through and how God appointed his priest. Um, And that's why I always say priests and and prophets and even Christians, God had preordained us. Because it's a bloodline thing, too, that he, you know, that you come from. Priests were, they had to come from um, 
you know, the bloodline of Aaron to be considered priest. Okay, so um, they're authorized, you're being authorized as a priest or a minister. It is granted by one of higher, of a higher authority, meaning of a higher authority than yourself is the one that's releasing this ordination upon you as God has led them to do so, to acknowledge you. So the ceremony of consecration um, into ministry is considered um, ordination. So it's really called a ceremony. So now you're starting to hear more terminology like commissioning. Because commissioning is like in an army. It's like an officer. You're getting your charge. You're getting appointed. You're, you're, you're being placed in that position. And that's the difference between ordination and commission, commissioning. Let's see. You're appointed and put in place. And it's when Jesus says it's time. He knows how to get to whoever he needs to get to to tell him when it's time. Okay? So when Jesus uh, tells you when it's ready. He will tell whoever needs to know. You'll get confirmation. You'll sense it. You know, you'll know something because you've been in the process. We give, like, just like we give our gifts to children and our family members and we think about them and we get them packaged and wrapped up and get them ready and we present them on a special day. It's the same thing with your, your, uh, your gift if you're a five-fold officer. This is exactly how Jesus gives gifts unto men in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11. Jesus, the prophet, will begin to train you. He opens doors, he orders your steps, and Holy Spirit trains you. He will give you personal experiences and encounters and divine connections. You'll be, you know, you'll be divinely connected with someone. So ordination is the process by which individuals are consecrated. That is set apart and elevated from the laity class to the clergy who are authorized usually by the denominational hierarchy composed of other clergy to perform various religious rites and ceremonies. The process and ceremonies of ordination vary by religion and by denomination. One who is in preparation for or who is undergoing the process of ordination is sometimes called an ordained, spelled O-R-D-I-N-A-N-D. Okay? For me, I was licensed and ordained um, from an apostle and prophet's and they were non-denomination, so it's, it's non-denomination. And so I have that release and certificates and all that stuff. And remember, it's a man thing that acknowledges who you are because God has already done so. He's already released it in you and put it on you. And so they acknowledge that they see it, the manifestation of it. Some denominations, like when I was looking for where I was going to go and my next home, church home, um, some denominations require me to go and get a whole nother set of education that I didn't have. I did, I, my master's degree was one year in Bible college, but then I didn't want that Bible college degree. I wanted my master's degree to be something I could use in the secular world. And so I got my master's in healthcare administration because God was putting me in those kind of positions of a little bit higher Authority, So I couldn't get like the director of something or over an area unless I had the master's. And so I, I left the Bible college and then did uh, my master's in healthcare administration. 
so when I was looking for, like, for example, Assemblies of God churches, they were, they were requiring me to have to take a set of classes, get more education after I already have a master's. And I thought that was kind of really, really strange. But, you know, people sometimes will put you through hoops. And then there was other ways I could do it was maybe test out. But then there was still a requirement that it was it just seemed like it did not it didn't seem like it made sense. It was like a barrier. And, and the Lord steered me away from Assembly of God's churches because I could not minister or be a leader or, or anything in their church wasn't recognized unless I went through their process. And so as you, as God moves you and guides you places, be sure you go where, you know, he is sending you because if he has opened that door, no man can close it. And he, you're going to be able to elevate and increase and grow where he places you. So I knew that God was redeeming some time for me and was doing a quick work because of aging and some other things. And so I did come to redeemed. Redeemed did not require me to do any of that. The pastor met with me, acknowledged my, my gift, and I sat and did what I needed to do to be, begin to serve. And once I began to serve, then the spirit speaks to the elders, to the leaders, to the other ministers, and even to the congregation. And you're welcome and accepted based on, on what uh, fruit that you're manifesting and how the Holy Spirit does speak to the other, other leadership. And the day that the Lord told me, the uh, pastor told me, well, we voted and we're going to put you on, you're going to be one of our ministers. I said, really? I said, you just voted? <laughs> and so, yeah, they all voted and agreed, all the leaders, that I would become a member of the leaders, the leadership team. So they accepted me and my gift. And the day that they did, he did it, he says, well, we'll have to do something on Sunday morning. And he did that. He, you know, they acknowledged me in front of the, the congregation and everything. And I think I even got prayed for. And it just went so quickly. Sheila, were you here? I don't know if you were here. Uh, Pearl, but I think Sister Pearl was probably here. Anyway, and then I, after, after that was over, I, I felt like I was not where I was at. I felt like I wasn't here, but I was here. I went downstairs and went to the bathroom, went to the bathroom, was doing my thing. And all of a sudden I heard the Spirit, Holy Spirit say, this is a big deal. I said, oh. I said, Lord, this is a big deal. He said, this is a big deal. I said, okay. <laughs> and that's all I said is, okay, I'm ready for this big deal then. So you, you, little things you think are not that important, but they're so are important. Holy Spirit said it because it's the weight, the weightiness of what happened that was so important to him and, and, and the people. And so I've been here since, and I can teach the prophetic. I minister. I preach on Sunday mornings. <laughs> you know, I go, I, I'm, a part of, I'm a part of this ministry and this family, and I, I feel it. And I know it. And when it's time for me to move on, the Lord will let me know. But right now, this is where I'm at and this is where I'll stay. Now, if I put shift gears and tell you about the prophetic call, I knew that I'm supposed to teach and train prophetic people and to mentor prophets and to have a company of prophets that could go out and minister in ministry teams wherever the people may need that type of ministry. I didn't know if I'd have that happen here because most churches, like we already know, don't have any prophetic departments or areas or anything. 
Redeemed has embraced that. I may not have many redeemed members here. Doesn't matter. God knows what he's doing. And, and the, the fact is, is that this is to grow and develop because it will go outside these walls. It's supposed to be open to the community, not just the members here at this church. It is a, a statewide thing. Okay? Amen. So now you know how what he said to you as far as what you're going to be doing. The end of this class, which is coming up soon, a few minutes, you're supposed to know what you're supposed to do. How many already know what you're supposed to do? Show, show of hands. God has showed you your next step or he shows you where you're supposed to be or you're right on track. Uh, confirmation, anything. Any acknowledgement? One? One? Anybody else? Yep. I think everybody. Kelly? Yeah. Sheila? Yes. An apostle, I mean apostle. <gasps> she's supposed to be here helping me, so I know she knows what she's supposed to be doing. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> okay, we're going to talk a little bit in closing about the prophet. Because there were some things I was supposed to give you, especially when the Lord had spoke to me um, a few weeks ago about, we were talking about the different functions and uh, the operations of the prophetic and what the role of the prophet was. He had told me he wanted me to give, he wanted to give me his list of what the functions of the prophet is. I saw that more as a responsibility of the prophet. I have my list and he has his list. So I'm going to bypass the list that I have. I think I've talked a lot about it already. I will give you a definition according to Wikipedia. The definition of prophet is, in religion, an individual who is regarded as being in contact with a divine being and is said to speak on behalf of that being. We know it's God, right? Serving as an intermediary with humanity by delivering messages or teachings from the supernatural source of others. The message, we, mean, we know the supernatural source is Holy Spirit. The message that the prophet conveys is called prophecy. So when I read this, the definition, I was reading the Wikipedia definition, but I was throwing in what we know to be what Holy Spirit says, right? The divine being is, is God. And we are the intermediary between God and humanity. Delivering messages, divine messages that are unknown to man until God gives it to us prophets to release into the, into the earth realm. And then the message, when it's developed, whether it's from a dream or vision or an utterance, is considered prophecy. So prophecy is a wide, wide definition for prophecy. The function you can go into uh, for uh, Ephesians 4 and read and we already talked about the offices, all five-fold offices are to build the body of Christ. Okay, until we come into the fullness of Christ. And laying foundation and things of that nature, the teaching and on and on, equipping of the saints. Now, when the Lord gave me the definition for the prophet or the function, and I would say responsibilities, the first one he said was, Hearing from God. Hearing from God. Number two. 
Teach others to hear from God. These are from Holy Spirit. Not from a book and not from me. I know the difference between something coming out of my mouth that's from a diviner versus my, my, my spirit. Okay? You get that as you grow in the voice of the Lord being able to talk to you and download to you and impart to you. The third one he said, worship. Worship. He said, bring people into the presence of God. Worship. Is that what we do every meeting? We first come in, we acknowledge the Lord. We give him what his what we feel he wants from us. And he wants worship. He is our creator. Number four, prayer. That's a huge term. Basically, two-way communication. He wants us to spend time with him. Number five, minister to the Lord like angels minister to us. Minister to the Lord like angels minister to us. What do angels do? I mean, I guess I don't want to call them our servants. But what does the Bible say about angels? They're servants, right? <laughs> Those are heirs of, of salvation. We are the heirs of, of salvation. They're ministering spirits. They minister to us. And we're to minister to the Lord in the same fashion. As he asks us to do things, we respond. Number six, glorify me. He says, glorify me. You're glorifying him by being who you are. You're glorifying him in everything you do. He receives all the glory, all the honor, all the praise, the breath that we breathe. My God. It's to glorify him with. Amen. Now, number seven, we did, we did, uh, this is the seventh one. He says to be my mouthpiece. That's kind of like the last one. Sometimes the last thing on the list is probably the most important though. You got to flip it. <laughs> but the first, we always think the first one is. Now, you can try, I mean, you should. I wouldn't say try to think like God. Think like God. <laughs> He's giving you the mind of Christ. He's in you. Whew, if we would just re realize that. He is in us. He leads us. He guides us. He speaks to us. If he's in there, you know he's in there. When you speak, you know you're speaking for him. On, his, on behalf of him. Because he's speaking through you. He has control of you. He has control of your vocal cords. Because he has control of your spirit, man. Amen? Amen. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. I did talk a little bit, not a lot. I was going to talk a little bit about the training I've been through. You know, it's just a process. We all get in the process. They used to tell us when we were young and running around and um, wanting to hear the word and wanting to prophesy and minister and 
get close to God. I always just say, Lord, why, why do people want to always be ministering? <laughs> or, or prophesy. I said, what is it? Why do they all want, you know, because I'm, I'm starting to get, get into my, my, I wouldn't say groove, get into the position where I know I'm, I'm yielded now. I've accepted it. I'm a, you, you want me to be a teacher? You're going to teach to me. I'm going to do what you want me to do. Now, I just wanted to know because all these people always want to know what's, how to do something. And you know what he told me? Is he has the simplest answers to things. We have these profound questions. He, he says, little simple answers. You know what he said? He said, you know, when you're ministering to him, or ministering to people, that's the closest you are to him. Because you're ministering out of his heart. <laughs> oh, 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 that just broke my heart. I said, oh, okay, God, I got it. I got it. I got it. <laughs> I got it. But you can't, you can't get it until you've been there. You know, until you've really been there. What's this like this? The kids do this. It means eat. Deaf kids. <laughs> Oh, my, until you've been there. Taste to see that the Lord is good. Hallelujah. Anyway, those are the days. I mean, I'm talking 20, 30 years for me, y'all. How long it's going to take you guys to evolve and finally become. I told you he's doing a quick work now, though. He's doing a very quick work. Have you noticed how quick the days go by? How the years and the months go by? We don't have a lot of time left. He's coming real soon. I'm coming soon, he says. I come soon. I come quickly. I come, I'm coming real soon. He's doing a lot of suddenlies. A lot of suddenlies. Remember the other day I, I told you I heard um, the voice of my spirit? Woo. Hallelujah. And, uh, you know, um, you don't think that you can hear your voice or your spirit. But you can if you really get sensitive enough. I, I had it. It was new for me. But, you know, when you say that, um, okay, you got the discerning, you got the gift of discerning the spirits, which is to discern what spirit is in operation. Typically, we only think about the angelic or the holy spirit, angels, the holy rim, and the demonic rim. The demons, the devils, you know, the imps and whatever they're all called. And we don't think, we forget the third one is our spirit. So you can discern our spirit. So when people speak, sometimes they can be speaking out of their, their spirit, man, could be what's speaking. Wow. And I would think if we get sensitive enough, we can hear that. We hear the cry of people, their spirit man crying out when they need deliverance and need to be set free or need to be healed, you know, need emotional healing. Praise God. But when I, um, when I had it come up, it was more uh, the Ukraine thing, and I, I heard my spirit weeping. And I usually think of the weeping as the Holy Spirit weeping. Holy Spirit can get your spirit and cause you to weep, cause your spirit to weep as well, because it was different. It, it sounded like uh, I'm, I had actually wrote some notes down so I can remember. Because, you know, in spiritual things, sometimes, you know, you can remember stuff that happens in a natural pretty easy with your brain. With the spirit, it's kind of hard to remember things that happen when you're in the spirit. You're caught up in the spirit. Sometimes it gets stamped on your spirit, but it's so deep. It's, it's still You still forget some of the things. But uh, I started hearing this inside and kind of just kind of pushed it away or off as nothing. And uh, I began to hear, 
I also began, to, this is when I started hearing angels, because I was starting to hear angels more talking, too. But I, so I was tuning in on the inside for Holy Spirit. And then, then all of a sudden, I start hearing this intercession again and crying. And I said, Holy Spirit, what's wrong? What's going on? And then that's when he says, Ukraine. It was an intercession for Ukraine. He had given me a burden. And then when, I, when he said that, I began to weep. And then I did get to, started to intercede and travail for, in, for, for Ukraine. Whenever I hear anything on the news about them, I begin to wail. If I think about them, it comes on me too. So when you get a burden, it's on you. And it's not going to be released until it's fulfilled. Okay? Until it, Holy Spirit has supernaturally released that burden from you or off you. So um, he said that that burden was placed, and we have to think of that as a seed. It's a seed that's put in that's going to develop, and eventually it'll be birthed. And that's kind of how the, the burden comes off. It's something that is birthed. Okay, and that's pretty deep for me. I can't go, to go much more in that and explain it to you because I'm still trying to figure out, too, and understand uh, about that. But it kind of tied in a little bit about what we were talking about with the circumcised heart and, and, and the Holy of Holies. And so the last thing I wanted to cover, and I think it was, it seems like to me it was Elizabeth. I'm not for sure, but uh, Jessica might remember. I remember you all once when I was doing teaching, I think Ernestine might have been there too. You wanted to know all these ministers that had impact in my life and I had been, had met or had, they had done things through me, on, release anointings on me or in their presence. Like you're here and you're hearing me teach and you're receiving the anointing on my life, go on to your life. That this is tangible and it's real. So you receive a piece of people's anointings and deposits. Sometimes they'll pray, actually pray for you and lay hands on you and can release them that way or activate things. And so I started my list. I started off with more current with Pastor Loy because he really has released some things for me and in me and to me. And the, the biggest thing I remember telling Sheila coming here um, that I think that I really, really love about Redeemed, about Christ's embassy is the love of God they have when they worship. It's just like no other worship. They don't have to, they don't fight to get through things to get to the work, to get to the throne because they, they, they live a life of holiness and worship. And so that's why it's so easy to just tap in. Um, so I love that about him. And then the word. Pastor teaches the word. It's all Bible. It's Bible, 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 Bible. It's just, it's, that's just, I mean, that's not me. That's him. That's what he's supposed to do. He's a, he's a shepherd. He's feeding the sheep. I need to be fed. That's different than what I'm me teaching. I'm teaching prophecy. I know I'm, I'm activating and training and all that kind of stuff, but it's a different, different uh, function, different office. So those are two things I really, really liked about here. And that's why I put him number one, because that's current and that's Pastor Aloy. And then I guess I went down the list as Holy Spirit was giving me names. And I'll say something about some of them and, and some of them I won't say anything at all. But I'm going to go through the list real quick. Bill Hammond. Bill Hammond was one that um, started, he was called the father of the prophetic. Um, he's been around a long, long time. He's a really old man now. And, but he's still prophesied, he's still traveling, he's still teaching. He's written many books. 
and his foundation for how to prophesy is where I learned how to prophesy. The foundation that we received out of Living Truth uh, in Plasmouth with Pastor Donna and what um, we, we gained from uh, Apostle um, Marshall McGee and uh, Agape. That was the foundation was Bishop Hammond. So I got to meet him when I went to a conference in Texas. And there it was this big international uh, conference or school of the prophets. It was huge. Sidney Jacobs, it was one of the first ones that they do. Now they continue to do them every year and they're really big. And so there was a whole bunch of people there that were there. And they signed their own, they had their own book tables. And so each person, like Bill Hammond had his book table, Cindy had her, everybody had their book tables, Dutch sheets, they all had their tables and you could go to their tables and buy their books and they would sign them for you. And so I went and got a book from him and he just reached out and grabbed my hand and started prophesying to me. I don't remember all what he said, but he started prophesying to me and I was just receiving it. And I said, wow, God, you're amazing. Okay, another person, John Eckhart. We used to go there quite often to visit for conferences and so forth. Um, we learned from him when I was doing the uh, ministry, of the prophetic ministry, Agape uh, dr uh, Drama. We learned about dance and mime and uh, putting on performances and things, prophetic expressions. It was just awesome. His church was really awesome. He was, he's in Chicago still. And then Cindy Jacobs. She was one, like I said, at the conference in Texas. Miles Monroe. Seen him at Azusa and some other places. And of course, he was the father for uh, Pastor Martin Linnell. Martin and Linnell. And so he would come. And I remember they had one of their leadership conferences. They were still kind of small. They weren't at the junior high anymore, but they were at the church downtown. And they did a leadership conference. And uh, Miles Monroe had done the sessions all day. It was an all-day session. Um, and so during the break, I guess he was signing books because I think I took my book up, a leadership book. And then when I got to him and gave him my book to sign, he just took my hand and he did it like this. And he called me a queen. And I said, wow. So see these little bitty things? I mean, they, they, they stay with you. And then why they do those things, I, you know, I guess they're Holy Spirit led. It was really a, a spiritual thing that, that he did. And I'll never forget it. And, you know, when he passed, I really, I really broke my heart when he went, he left and went to be with the Lord pretty early. And then there's Hilton Sutton. He taught a full week on the Re book of Revelation in a small church. The room that we were in was like half the size of this sanctuary. And we were all packed in there. And he just, he just fed us the book of Revelation for a whole week. It was powerful. And he was, he's like one of those fathers of the end times teachings way before, you know, then they're doing it now. I mean, years ago. We're talking like 20, maybe almost 30 years ago. And he's passed uh, and went to be with the Lord. Then, of course, you have people like Billy Bram and Lynn Hammond and Kenneth Hagan and Kenneth Copeland. You know, you go to their, you're in and out of Tulsa, you go to meetings and you see him. I remember seeing Kenneth Hagan uh, during the Azusa conference. We had went to the mall and he and his wife were doing their walk around the mall and getting their exercise in. And then we said, oh, hey, there's, there's dad, dad Hagan, you know, <laughs> that's what they called him. And so um, very powerful. And then uh, 
Carlton Pearson. He did the Azusa conferences, and we used to go to his home and have picnics. We would eat there, you know, during while we were there during the conference on the weekends. And, you know, just with the conference ending up or something, he would invite certain people to come to his home. Uh, then there's Juanita Bynum. I remember she came to Omaha once. She she started, every, all these folks got their starts at Azusa. T.D. Jakes, even Miles Monroe, Juanita Bynum. And I can remember Juanita Bynum because that was when she was ministering and she just wrecked the whole place. Oh my goodness. She just wrecked it. <laughs> I'm sorry, it was just wrecked. And you're talking about the Maybe Center, you know, at Oral Roberts University. Huge, huge place. And I was just, you know, just kind of, I don't know if I was in a glance or a trance or what I was in, but that was when I was taken up into the throne room and the Lord had me twirling and dancing in front of him. And I was just having a good time twirling in, in, the, in the, you know, in the throne room. I could see things, although I was moving fast. I could still see and sense and knew where I was at. And that's where the first time I felt like my spirit had entered into the Holy of Holies. It was because it was so close right there with God. Wow. Uh, and then, okay, Shirley Caesar. You guys know Shirley Caesar? I just love her. She came here and did a conference at the Orpheum. Me and my baby sister, Fanny, we went. Oh, we had such a good time. That old time music, I mean, we was, we was just, it was powerful. That woman, that woman is powerful. And she, you know, she's a preacher. She had a different level of an anointing in that place. And when we left, I just felt like I was flying. You know, we left, we walked into our car. And then I was just, you know, and I, I am one that's, I'm a seer. So I'm always looking. And I looked up and I said, oh, wow, look. That looks like there's a door open. No, that's a window. <laughs> I don't know what it was. It was in the cloud. It was open. And you can see behind it the, the glory coming from it. I said, oh, my, that's amazing. You know, that's how God feeds me, I guess. Or he takes care of his girl who likes supernatural stuff. Even though I always tell you guys I'm scary, spooky scary. I'm really not. <laughs> the flesh is. And then there's people like, I'm, I did say T.D. Jake's name already, but then Benny Hinn, I remember, I, I remember he came to Omaha, was uh, in his choir, and he would, he would say, take it, and we would all flow up, fall all over the place. <laughs> we had such an awesome time with him, and that, that was pretty, you know, it was only for like a few days, but we had these we had two and three uh, rehearsals and practices prior to, you know, his meetings when he came into town, and I went to other places to, to hear him speak as well. And I think I already told you guys about the time I read his book and I said I wanted to do that too and, and the Holy Spirit did visit me supernaturally. And then there's James Gall. He's a, a current prophet, although much older than uh, people think he is. I think he's older than I am or my age. He's um, really a, a, a seer, so I've learned a lot from his ministry and, and his teachings. Corey Russell, Joyce Myers, she would come here. Marilyn Hickey, she's prayed for me and laid her hands on me. Paula Price, she ministered during graduation from Purity with Paul Purpose. She was one of the uh, prophets. Then there's uh, Lester Summerall. He is powerful, dynamite, 
He's a, he's a, he's a demon slayer. <laughs> and he's something else. He's, he's been around a long time. You know, he's passed now, but he was an older, older guy. Lester Summerall. Uh, and then there's folks, uh, like when I went on my trip to Israel, people I hadn't met before, I met them at Israel because I went with Sid Roth, and these were Sid Roth's guests on his program. He would have them come and be tour guides on his buses. And they had probably about 15, 20 buses. And uh, so there was, the ones that I met were Kevin Zida, or Zydek, Anna, uh, Anna Werner. She prayed for me when we got baptized in the, uh, Jordan. And I came up and I was out. And so she was praying for me and holding her hands on me. And I don't know what all she was doing. <laughs> she was ministering to me, or she felt she was. Um, and then Diane Nutt. You guys heard of Diane Nutt from her, his program? She's the lady with the glory. She's the glory lady. So I had saw her in one of the stores we were in. She was on a different bus. And she and I just connected like this. We couldn't keep our eyes off of each other. We, we got hands together. And it was just so supernatural and spiritual. And she says, I don't know what you need or what you want, but I'm going to give it to you and release it to you. I said, okay, I'll take it. Whatever you got for me, I'll receive it. <laughs> And we're just standing in the line at the store trying to check out powerful lady. Very, very anointed. Jenny Weaver, she's the one that uh, she sings and uh, she's a psalmist. And she was, you know, really heavy, heavy into drugs and some, some other stuff. Uh, as she was growing up before she became born again. Dutch Sheets, Chuck Pierce, Pam Benetti. Pam was here for a conference once, and she ministered to me and Philip. Pam Benetti, she's out of um, Tulsa. She was the prophet, house prophet for uh, Carlton Pearson. Mm -hmm. Graham Cook, Chris Volaton, Mark Sharona, uh -huh. Guillermo Maldonado, Scott Webster is Atlanta, powerful prophet. Jonas Clark, I graduated from his, his school of the prophets. Hank Kuhneman, our local guy. I remember when he was, I, I went to see him. He was at a conference I went to. We, we just happened to be at the same conference, but he was one of the speakers. And we went to his workshop. And so while I was there at his workshop, on the front row, he came and ministered to me and laid eyes on me and called out, called, called forth more of the seer anointing. Uh, then Kim Clements, Sun Fan. And you remember Sun Fanon? She was heavy in prayer. She released a prayer mantle on me. And then there's other people like Anthony Earl, Marshall McGee, Randy McGee, Kenneth Schroeder, Alvin Mitchell, Kim Daniels, Barbara Schroeder, Loretta Gunners, Mayberry, <laughs> Char Charlie Shamp, Jonathan Stedman, and Christopher. And they were the ones we met in Tennessee that um, talked about the angels that I was having those angelic visitations. So anyway, uh, that, is, that is it. We're going to uh, close, and I'd like to do this uh, activation. So in, in other words, uh, thank you for listening in on our podcast. See you next time. Good night, or good afternoon, or good morning. <laughs>